You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I feel like who Art Ed? Who Art Ed? Mr. Wood, Art Ed, me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted Weekly Art History for All Ages. I'm your host, Kyle Wood. Now... Today, I do want to make just a couple quick announcements. First off, I want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been listening and participating in this year's Arts Madness Tournament. Looks like this year is on track to be the biggest yet. At the beginning of the tournament, I said I would send out an Amazon gift card to someone who fills out the prediction form. At first, my plan was to give the gift card to someone who made a particularly compelling case for their chosen piece. But then, you all had so many great persuasive arguments, I could not choose and ended up picking at random. Congratulations to listener Tessa, who picked Christo and Jean-Claude. She said, quote, I think this artwork will win due to the emotional impact it has on the audience. All of these different artworks are amazing and inspiring, but encapsulating a picture of love has a warming effect on the human mind as is expressed in this art piece. Love can do great things, especially when it's shown to others through art, end quote. Wonderfully said, Tessa. Thank you for taking time to share your thoughts on this work that appeals to our better angels. Check your email. You should have an Amazon gift card from me. Now, I hope you'll continue listening and participating every week as we narrow the field from 64 down to one ultimate artist. And at the end of the tournament, I'll take all of those who correctly predicted the outcome, and I'll randomly select a few to send out some more gift cards. Remember, I'm using the ad money that I get for the show, so the more you listen, the more I can give away this spring. Now, just one more quick announcement I am very excited to share. I've recently started working for the Art of Education University writing for their magazine, I've been a longtime reader, but now I'm getting to participate on the other end of it as my first articles will be coming out in March. Today, I want to actually give a shout out to Chelsea Solano's article, Six Seedy Parts of the Art World Art Educators Love to Teach. I'll link it in the show notes, but in the article, she mentioned Han Van Meegren. I personally love a good caper or con, so today, 
I'm putting in an encore presentation of the unbelievable story of Han Van Meegren, the forger so good nobody believed him when he admitted his fraud. I will, of course, have a new episode this Monday. Um, actually, this one is again going to be a little bit related to The Art of Ed as this Monday, I'm going to have an interview with Herb Williams, the most amazing contemporary artist who I actually wrote about in one of my upcoming articles. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, the way it's going to work this March, I'm going to have some new episodes every Monday and probably just some fun Friday capers, cons, and other just bananas stories from the art world. But now, on to Han Van Meegren. It's probably not a name most of you know. There was nothing particularly special about Han Van Meegren in the early days. He grew up dreaming of being an artist, and much to his father's disappointment, he decided to go to art school. He attended the Royal Academy of Art in The Hague, and after graduation, he taught art as well as selling some of his own sketches. He actually started to get some attention for his sketches of plants and animals, but with more attention came more scrutiny. After his second solo exhibition, one critic said that Van Meegren had, quote, every virtue except originality. Basically, it was technically strong, but it was boring and uninspired. Well, Van Meegren could not handle that criticism. He quit painting, he just went off about, you know, how modern art was terrible and all this other stuff. He moved to the south of France. It sounds like it was a pretty epic tantrum. But here's the thing. This wasn't the end of Han van Meegren. This was just the beginning. This was the point where van Meegren broke bad. The late 1930s was a rough time in Europe. Nazis were on the rise, the museums began hiding their most treasured works, even shipping them off to safe locations. As all of these works were floating around in the art world, and many pieces were being hidden, Han van Meegren emerged as an art dealer. Specifically, he talked about having some lost Vermeers. As I explained in the previous episode about the Vermeer stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gartner Museum, there aren't a lot of Vermeer paintings, and much of his biography is unknown. There are, however, some historians who believe that Vermeer studied under an artist who was heavily influenced by Caravaggio. Von Meegren was celebrated for bringing the world the gift of these lost Caravaggio-influenced Vermeer paintings. The critics loved the paintings, and they loved Von Meegren for discovering these lost works. He sold them for huge amounts, and over just a few years, he amassed a fortune of about $30 million in today's money. The thing is, Van Meegren would sell to anyone with money, including the Nazis. Hermann Goering, Hitler's vice chancellor, was also an art lover. He particularly loved the Vermeer painting he got from Van Meegren. So, in the 1940s, after the war, as they were looking at all of Goering's ill-gotten works, they started to investigate where did Goering get that Vermeer painting. 
And they couldn't find a lot about it, but they did trace it back to Van Meegren. Now, whatever they expected to hear as his response when they came knocking, asking why Van Meegren was doing business with the Nazis, I guarantee they were surprised. Van Meegren declared that he deserved not to be treated as a traitor for letting this great Dutch masterpiece fall into the hands of the Nazis. He said he should be celebrated as a hero. Because what he actually gave the Nazis were fakes. He claimed that by selling and trading these forgeries, he was able to to get 137 authentic Dutch masterpieces from the Nazis. It was an interesting defense, and I mean, like I say, he was on trial for treason. He was facing execution. But he said he wasn't a war criminal. He was a common criminal, a forger. The odd thing is, in this case, the fraud to many people seemed kind of noble, if it were true. It'd be hard for anyone to feel sympathy for the victims of the crime, but most found it too hard to believe. Most thought he was just lying to cover for his own misdeeds. To add a little theatrical flair to the story, Van Meegren was ordered to prove his claims by creating a forgery under court supervision. And this is how we learned the incredible lengths he went to in creating forgeries that would fool the world. To create a convincing illusion of a 17th century masterpiece, he started with 17th century materials, mostly. He got authentic 17th century canvases, like he took old paintings, scraped the paint off so that he would have genuinely aged canvas to be painting on. Now, for the pigments, he used materials that would have been available at the time. Say what you will about Van Meegren, but he did his homework. He did research what kinds of uh, pigments, what coloring agents were artists of that time using. He would research the specific artists. Like when he was painting a uh, quote-unquote Vermeer, he looked into what pigments, what colors was Vermeer using? How did he derive his colors? And Van Meegren would use the same materials. The thing is, over time, when you look at an oil painting, the oil will cure and harden over the years, over the decades, over the centuries. And it's hard to fake that kind of thing. So this was a genius move on his part. He wouldn't really fool people today with the forensic technology that we have. But at the time, they weren't able to look so closely at the works. And so he used... Bakelite. It was sort of like a plastic binder to mix into the paints. And then he baked the canvas to harden it. So it became this hardened plastic mixed into the paints, giving it the look and feel of a centuries old painting. In the end, in dramatic fashion, he was able to reproduce an authentic looking forgery under supervision. And that left everybody with this strange feeling like, how do we evaluate? How do we look at this guy? Because, yes, he was a criminal. Yes, he was a fraudster. But also, you know, he was conning evil people. So there were a lot of people who looked at him in somewhat a heroic fashion. But 
he wasn't only conning evil people. He was conning anyone he could get money off of. And so while he was let go from the treason charges, he was sentenced to, I think it was a year for the fraud, for the forgery. He never would serve that term. He, I think, had a heart attack and died before he even got to jail or shortly after he got to jail. But in the story of Von Megren, I think the most just amazing irony is he's got to be the only con man in history who had to go to such great lengths to prove to everybody that he was a fraud to get himself out of trouble. I think the other thing that's really interesting about the Von Megren story is what it tells us about what we're valuing in art. I mean, the Von Megren paintings, when he had his own name attached, were dismissed as unoriginal and not particularly special. But when he slapped someone else's name on them, I mean, when he said it was a lost Vermeer or some other work by a well-known and respected established artist, Everybody celebrated those works as astonishing masterpieces. I'm no fan of Van Meegren and no fan of forgeries, but it does raise some interesting questions. And like all great works of art, all great creative endeavors, his forgery scheme worked on several levels. And there are some different ideas and different takeaways you can, you can glean from it depending on your perspective. You could look at him as a liar, a fraud, a jerk, and a greedy person who was just out to make a quick buck. You could look at him as someone who was sort of calling out the emperor has no clothes, exposing that, you know, what people are really chasing in the art world is the status of a label, that something that has that seal of approval is automatically celebrated, regardless of the quality. I think one thing we can all agree on, no matter what your perspective and what you take away from the Von Meegren story, doing business with Nazis is always a bad idea. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.